0: as a professional welder Shayna ford uses forge fx to practice over and over which helps her improve her skills the more muscle memory that you have the smoother your weld is learn more at meta.com metaverse impact to get the crime writers on after show right now go to patreon.com partners in crime media
1: i'm rebecca lavoy and this is crime writers on Crime Writers On is the original True Crime Review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, he terrorized the nation with rants about technology and bombs in the mail. Twenty five years later, what have we learned about Ted Kaczynski? We'll review the Apple original podcast, Project Unibomb. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, my friend, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura hello Rebecca and finally our resident doubting Thomas author of the city trilogy host of the stranger rivals podcast and our patreon deep dive book club podcast Toby ball hello Toby hey Rebecca so Kevin this is a Monday that, it this, is show a Monday. Is, that yes, this show yes. is dropping out everyone is listening to it on a Monday we should mm-hmm. acknowledge that uh what is coming up on our next podcast coming out next week
2: Well, next Monday, we are going to be talking about Only Murders in the Building. Oh, yeah. Season 2. Yes. Out now on Hulu. By the way, uh, for those folks on Patreon, you're going to be able to watch us record that live. A little more information coming up uh, later in the show when we talk about the business.
1: All right. So, are we going to have special guest Steve Martin on next week? Jessica, it's then?
2: up to you, Rebecca. You and Toby have his ear on Twitter. Not yes. Kevin Flynn. Yes. Not Laura Bricker.
1: Yes. Toby, are we going to start our campaign to get Steve Martin to show up to our Zoom? Is it the oh, plan? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, we'll just have to send him that link.
2: Well, he's got to join Patreon in order to get the link, Steve uh, Martin. Well, I think it's a good deal. Five bucks a month, you get the almost three hundred exclusive podcasts. We're
1: not going to let Stephen for free. No. Steve? Steve's got the cheddar.
2: <laughs> Steve Martin.
1: <laughs> we're going to make Steve like. Yeah. Ha- we're going to make Steve have to pay five bucks we a month. Are.
2: Yeah. We are. We <laughs> are in fact if it's steve martin i might say i'm sorry steve it's 50
3: no, he's gotta do at least six
1: okay He's got
2: to get do on the brichter six. scale he's yeah. gotta get the brichter <laughs> scale stuff
1: too, i yeah. mean we have all, we have other celebrities in there so why shouldn't steve be one of them right stop yeah. rocking
2: the fucking boat rebecca uh,
1: i would give it to steve for free i'm just saying
2: oh uh, great my wife just said yeah
1: let's try give a, it let's to try steve get into
3: that. for free yes <laughs> that's between you and kevin <laughs> and oh, steve apparently. yeah and steve yeah
1: All right, well, I'm excited. I haven't, as of the time of this taping, I haven't watched any of it yet. I'm really excited to watch it. It's been the one thing that I've been looking forward to in these dark times in our democracy. I don't know about you guys, but I am down for some only murders in the building to brighten my world. So looking forward to that. All right, so Kevin, I am ready to talk about uh, this podcast's topic. Are you ready to do that?
2: Totally ready.
1: I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip leading off.
4: Kaczynski has steadfastly refused interview requests from the media for the past two decades. He told one journalist that he would only be talking to, quote, 100 percent committed, far out, rabid anti-tech radicals. I wrote him. I never heard back.
1: Having evaded authorities for 17 years, the criminal known as the Unabomber is ready to make a deal. If newspapers will print his manifesto, he will stop killing people. But his anti-technology rants sound familiar to the family of Ted Kaczynski.
0: I'm going to turn to Linda and say, see, I could definitely tell you it's not him. Instead, uh, oh my gosh, my
3: heart started to sink, you know.
1: When the disheveled, cabin-dwelling Kaczynski is arrested, it confirms everyone's suspicion that the culprit was a madman. But how did he go from mathematics professor to serial bomber? And were there other ways the story could have gone?
4: It came to involve not only the federal agents who chased him and the victims left in his wake, but everyone from the most powerful decision-makers in Washington to a group of Dungeons & Dragons fanatics in Chicago to a man who lived for years in a hole in the high desert.
1: Produced by Pineapple Street Studios, the Apple original podcast Project Unibomb, tells the story of a nation and a family coming to grips with what was happening inside a tiny cabin in the Montana woods. Host Eric Benson digs into Kaczynski's personal papers and talks to key people from the investigation, including those first suspected of being the Unabomber. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Project Unibomb. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. So, Laura, this podcast is set up in a place... Uh, The story is set up in a place, largely, where I was not expecting it to be set up, which is the Washington Post newsroom. What did you think about that thread of these news directors and this newsroom head grappling with whether or not to publish Ted Kaczynski's manifesto and that entire journalism narrative to kick off this story?
5: Well, you know me. I love any time that we get a behind-the-scenes look at a newsroom, at journalists at work, You know, having worked in a newsroom, I always like to hear how other newsrooms, obviously I did not work at the Washington Post. I worked at a local group of newspapers here in New Hampshire, but I liked the contacts they set up. Like, this is the guy who worked with Woodward and Bernstein. Like, he is somebody that has been in journalism for an extremely long time. And, you know, at the same time, now he's getting this phone call from, you know, somebody at like the head of the FBI or like the assistant to the head of the FBI To talk about this letter, so you you see sort of this struggle between journalism ethics and you know being independent and not beholden to anybody when publishing the story. At the same time, though, you know as a journalist, I'm thinking this letter is a story, but we're also being held hostage by it. So it's it's um a really I don't know a very difficult decision, and it's it's hard to know if you were in that. Person shoes, what you would have done, um, because it is something that's definitely a pretty gray area when it comes to journalism.
3: What I said to him and he said to me was, we're normally rivals on news stories. We cannot be rivals on this. We cannot let this guy play us off one against the other. Uh, we have to have a united response.
1: One of the things that struck me, Toby, is that this is pre-9-11, and the FBI came and, first of all, they called, they alerted the Washington Post that they were going to be getting the manifesto. They came then and took it, the, the original copy, but then they brought back like a photocopy of it. And I was like, whoa, like I don't think that the post nine eleven FBI <laughs> necessarily would have done that. But then the FBI really like worked with them and seemed not confident and grappled with this decision internally and worked with the Washington Post and had meetings with them. And I was just really struck by the pre-9-11 FBI and how just different they felt and seemed compared to the post-9-11 FBI in terms of like confidence, in terms of like wherewithal, because it seemed like post-9-11 the FBI is just like hard line black and white we don't do this we don't share information we don't you know what i mean it just seemed like a more um public friendly journalism friendly information friendly agency you know what i mean
3: yeah i think it was a probably pretty narrow window in which this happened where you go from like hoover (laughs) you know (laughs) so there was probably like a good like 30 years maybe where you could get the fbi to deal with the press in a way that was sort of open and and in some ways collaborative but yeah i mean i was in dc when this was printed i mean i remember when the post came out with this um yeah i mean it's it's a tough one and i think it's the same it's it's a question that gets faced again and again and again and not quite these exact details but it's like how much do you give in to somebody who's threatening harm whether it's paying a ransom or releasing prisoners or, you know, publishing this manifesto. The idea being that once you set the precedent that you're going to meet the demands, that you're kind of opening up the uh, Pandora's box for everybody wanting to suddenly get a piece of that. But in fact, that didn't happen, right? It wasn't suddenly a whole bunch of people sending in manifestos or else I'm going to, or maybe there were, but they just never got published. So, you know, in the end, it seems like it's the right decision. I mean, they talk about this a little bit, the piece itself is kind of interesting. Like if you actually read it, it's weird, but it's it's got like definite points it makes pretty strongly.
1: Hmm. It is interesting to think about, Kevin, um, The timing of this podcast. Laura sent a note about the timing of this podcast and why now. And I just kept thinking like- That's always Laura's question. Why now? But to me, the why now is, and Laura, I'm going to answer it for you right now. Uh, To me, the why now is, A, there is new information in this podcast, which I already have gleaned. But also the why now is, today, I'm not 100% sure that Ted Kaczynski wouldn't be seen as like an alt-right hero versus- a vilified terrorist i'm just not 100 yeah. sure he wouldn't yeah. be seen that way right there's an incel right because a lot of the things like i'm not just i'm not the anti-tech and all that stuff but a lot of the other things that he talks about are and, and i'm not sure that his points of view would be the same as they were then now but he's like just his way of sort of being and communicating and like is is not out of line with people who now held up as sort of like heroes by a sect of our our society now. And they just communicate differently now because of the internet, right? But Kevin, you were also- That's sort
2: of the irony, right? Yeah. Is that, uh, you know, the technology around us, what was this quote from, uh, from Web of Make Believe, which was something about how the technology around us is as imperceptible as water is to fish.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: And you're right, it's just all around us. And if, you know, in another timeline that- the Unabomber was active during the era of social media. Yep. It is that technology that would have propelled him to a different kind of status. He did okay, though, on the infamy level, just being the Unabomber. Right,
1: though. and and when they read sections of his writings and they're like, the elite class doesn't care about you or whatever, I'm like, you're kind of right about that kind of stuff. Like it's, yeah. It is kind of frightening well, that he's a little bit right.
2: And they, they talk about this is that, Kaczynski, obviously, he is you know mentally ill. He has a violent streak, but he's also a very smart guy. Genius. Genius level IQ, so he is not your typical nutjob, is what they would say. So the things that he writes, while they may be unhinged, he's coming from a place of deeply reasoned. For him, anyway, right? It isn't spur-of-the-moment kind of stuff. He's thought this stuff out. And this is what we hear everybody say. We hear the editors say that they get these crazy letters all the time. This one was different, and they immediately knew it. And I think the reason, by the way, that they went to the FBI to get another set of eyes in the situation, because it was new, and, you know, they took their advice and they thought about it. I think if the FBI strongly said, do not... They might not have. I think if the FBI says, yeah, go ahead and do it, then they're like, they're still going to make their own decision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the fact that the FBI grappled with it, like helped them like more grapple with it. They, yeah. They, it felt like still... it, it was a
2: tough call all the way yeah. around. In the end, it was the right call because it did instigate the capture of Kaczynski.
1: Kaczynski yes that is the other pronunciation of the name A thing that was a funny fact that I, we I worked
2: with a guy whose name was Ted Kaczynski really yeah I well, think it was spelled the same way guess I don't what? Know.
1: his name was also Ted Kaczynski yeah we, we didn't call this, him that is this podcast <laughs> so Kevin we will talk about that discovery of you know who recognized the manifesto writing later because to yeah. me that was very new um but One of the things that you wrote a note about, and I really appreciate that you did, was the sound of the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I've ever said this, but it has, I'll use the term, an alluring sound. It feels like a This American Life story in all the best ways, as far as the sound design. Eric has a very pleasant speaking voice. I noticed the music, the the music beds, they have no percussion, right? So it's just making this sort of atmospheric and soothing in a little sort of light, jazzy way. There
4: were his diagnoses of where we had gone wrong. The system has to force people to behave in ways that are increasingly remote from the natural pattern of human behavior. There were his fears for how it could get worse. The technophiles are
2: taking us all on an utterly reckless ride into the unknown. It's an underutilized sound design in our genre, so I don't know why that struck me, but it was done really, really well here, and so it matched the pacing the right way, and so... I thought this sounds like, you know, the prestige podcasts that we've heard, like from, you know, this American Life serial, the way those sound designs uh, are crafted. I thought it was well done.
1: Beautifully crafted. The synthesizer set music is gorgeous. Really, really well suited to this, especially thematically. Time period wise and in terms of sort of like the technology story wise, your observations are spot on. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Manhevar, a veteran of This American Life who now works at Pineapple Street Studios. Uh, Just so you know, he also produced another podcast that we loved the sound of, which was The Clearing.
2: Oh, right. Which, yeah. was,
1: which introduced a whole new, like, true crime music genre that we haven't heard before and since, which sense, which was the clarinet beds. I don't know if you remember the musical scoring to The Clearing, which was singular. From Doylestown, it was Ocala, Florida, and then a short little stay in Arizona, then on to um, Brighton, Colorado for a year, on to Watertown, Wisconsin for just a couple months. After Watertown, Wisconsin, it was
5: Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for a year.
1: And also, this podcast is reported and narrated by Eric Benson, who co-reported my favorite podcast of last year, *Suspect*. Um, so he worked with Matt. I Sharon, thought you were going to say manslaughter. No, <laughs> but he also did work on *Suspect*. So it is just like there is sort of like a bit of a dream team working on this show. So the way that it so- it sounds and the way that it's put together, like if it had sounded kind of shitty, I would have been extremely disappointed.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve
2: with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at
6: meta.com slash metaverse impact. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone, in the award-winning film, Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details.
1: All right, so Kevin, here we are in the business section. Yes! It's time for you to do your business. What do we got going on in the business section today, Kevin?
2: Uh, well, over on Patreon, we have the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. We
1: do. What are we talking about over there? Laura
2: Bricker, fill us in. What adventures are you getting into in your uh, quaint AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire?
5: Well, the adventures include some of our visitors to my quaint AF town, including Elon Green. And Elon and I are going to talk about something kind of crazy that happened when he came to Exeter that may or may not have involved Rebecca's mother and her
2: childhood <laughs> uh, this is author Elon Green author of Last Call yes the great book and uh, great well if it involves Rebecca's mother I'm sure it's not annoying
1: wait it doesn't involve my childhood right it involves my a story that my mother
5: told right a story that your mother told <laughs> that might have <laughs> I know this one originated in the area that you grew up oh on it Long- totally did it totally Long did Island. Yes. and this was a story that she told and
1: I should just can I just like preview it a little bit Kevin sure so it had to do with Elon Green's book tangentially and she sent me a wild text message about a murder that i then read to the whole table of people at the dinner prior to elon green's book event and i was like everybody now that you're all assembled let me read to you out loud this text message my mother sent me and the whole table was gobsmacked and then it became an entire thing did you chase my mom down and ask her about it laura Oh, yeah. We had a big conversation about it. Yeah.
2: Oh, all right. We're just going to have to listen to the episode. Can I cannot wait to
1: hear that. See how that. I didn't ask my mom any follow up questions, so I can't wait to hear what you got out of it. Anyway. All right. So, Kevin, what else have we got going on?
2: Well, it's not too late to sign up for Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. On Thursday, this Thursday at eight o'clock Eastern, we are going to be doing a live show for our patrons. You'll be able to join us on Zoom. You'll see Toby and Laura. And Rebecca and I, me? we're going to be recording next week's show. And that's the show when we're talking about Only Murders in the Building Season 2. Maybe Steve Martin will join us. Oh, I'm sure. Probably not. I'm 100%. Uh, seems likely.
1: You know, I'll just DM and he will slide into my DM. Slide
2: it, yeah, I'm sure. And I'll be
1: like, hey, Steve, want to come join us on our Zoom?
2: Yeah, that would be awesome. By the way, uh, just a reminder, Steve Martin still does not follow me, but he does follow Toby Ball and Rebecca Lavoy And
1: Crime Writers On. Does he follow crime writers? Yes.
2: On? Oh, okay. Well that's fine. <laughs> Then I guess he's following. He follows me.
1: like two hundred people, including Toby, me, and Crime Writers On. It's yeah. wild.
2: Still no Kevin Flynn, well, no, but all
1: right. So if you, you want, didn't
2: want it as bad as I did. Yeah, yeah, you were pretty fucking thirsty, Toby. I listened I, to that one. I, yeah. I, I've
3: been thirsty once on the show, and it was then. And it paid off. <laughs> <Yes>. It definitely <laughs> paid off.
1: I checked, just so you know, I, once in a while. It's like the only thing that excites me about logging onto Twitter is the fact that, you know, I'm just I'm conscious of it all the time. It so excites me. I'm such a huge fan. But once in a while, I have this like gripping fear maybe he doesn't follow me anymore. It's like once every and he couple, tweeted, yeah. Once every couple of months, I just like check. Does he still follow me? And he's like, as of this taping, he still does. So I do check every so he while. likes bold women. Oh, either that or he never checks his Twitter.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, so Kevin, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
2: Yes, our Patreon patron saints are Susan Howard. And Marcy Vale, bless you.
1: Bless you, Susan and Marcy. Thank you to you guys and to everyone for supporting us on Patreon. And, of course, thanks to everyone else for listening to the show every week. And uh, if that ends the business section, Kevin, I think I'm going to go ahead and fade that music fade out Fade the right music
2: now. out, because the business section thus has ended.
1: Toby Ball. I was extremely excited to hear that there was a Harvard thread in this podcast and Ted Kaczynski's time there. I know that this is not an important part of the story and that it is debunked immediately. When they mentioned MK Ultra, I was like, Toby's ears just pricked up right now. But there's a lot <laughs> more going on there in terms of Ted Kaczynski's background, his education there, and the time at which, A lot of these psychiatric issues that he was experiencing, I mean, I think it's pretty clear to us, uh, the contemporary listener, that he was experiencing some psychiatric issues, you know, from his teenage years forward at this time that he was at Harvard. And I was just thinking, like, what does Toby know about this time? What is he getting from this that I am not getting? Because he probably knows a whole lot about this context that I don't I don't know about. So can you just talk about what you were hearing there that was probably like beyond what I was hearing there in that part of the podcast?
3: Sure. So I actually, um, the stuff about Harvard, I think comes from this book called Harvard and the Unabomber. And it's by this guy, Alston Chase. And I actually read it when I was doing research for my third novel, because I thought some of the stuff in it was was pretty interesting. So I don't know if it was so much debunked. Ted Kaczynski definitely was involved. And I guess you you hear a tape of it. In this sort of experiment, which I you wouldn't be able to do now with human subjects protections, uh, by this guy Henry Murray. But what Austin Chase kind of talks about is about how he thinks his time at Harvard was sort of formative for Ted Kaczynski and in, in in leading him towards being the Unabomber. And he he sort of hits on a few things. One is Kaczynski starts shows up and he's sixteen, and he's already sort of socially ostracized and awkward even amongst, you know, people who are roughly his age. And then he shows up to Harvard and it's like all these kids are older, he's still odd. And so he is absolutely isolated. And the second thing which I think is the most interesting part even more than the sort of MKUltra stuff is that when he showed up at Harvard was when they began to institute a core curriculum which were certain classes that everybody had to take. And according to Alston Chase in this book, he basically says that, you know, for somebody who was really paying attention, like two of the main themes that came out of this core curriculum were that technology is inherently causes alienation in people. Like people become alienated as as more technology is added to their lives. And then the second thing was technology... Is expanding and it's not gonna stop like it's just Mm. gonna continue going so his sort of thesis is that this curriculum for somebody who is very smart and impressionable and was paying attention would lead to despair right and so he thinks that's what Kaczynski left Harvard with was this just sort of deep dread about the future because of the expansion of technology and what it would mean for people and and that's you know that's essentially what he writes about in his manifesto.
0: On This uh, avoiding of uh, of society or this uh,
3: society is a is a bad thing. Is that why you're trying to grow that beard? No.
2: I mean, are you conforming with the
3: non No,
2: I'm not conforming with the non-conformist. Well, all if the, all conforming, non- with the, all the conforming with the nonconformists. If I were conforming with the non I
3: mean, really, this isn't really a beard yet. You're darn right, it's not.
2: Isn't it quaint that you could, have, you could be filled with despair about the world because of technology instead of everything we're filled with despair about right now?
1: But also, I mean, I listen to this and I'm like, isn't he very likely a paranoid schizophrenic? I mean, this just seems to be this like...
2: Both things can be true. I
1: understand both things can be true, but there seems to be this very like... I, I mean, I'm thinking of the Beautiful Mind guy, John Nash, right? Paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, genius. Genius paranoid schizophrenic i'm thinking about all of the people who in the world have these iqs of 160 and above and i'm not saying that everybody who's that smart is a paranoid schizophrenic but there are like you know the there seems to be this like weird correlation between people who are hyper geniuses and uh you know like a, a locus between that and uh early onset mental illness of some kind not causation but that seems to be like a like a thing here Where like what's wrong with ted i'm like he seems to be very mentally ill as well. And so like, if that's part of the core curriculum, he left with that. wasn't it more easily implanted because he probably suffers from some sort of mental illness.
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I read this book years ago and I don't remember if he has like much of an opinion about uh, Kaczynski's like mental health. Although I think clearly there's, there's something going on there, but I think what, what he's saying is, You know, the philosophy that he came up with and the things that he was angry about were sort of a logical outshoot of what he was taught at Harvard. Yeah, yeah. But not everybody reacts to it that way. But you did get the feeling that he saw technology as this freaking snowball coming down a hill and he did not want any part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Laura, a big part of the core of this podcast is the relationship between Ted and his brother David. They grew up in this relatively, it's portrayed as a relatively normal home in the suburbs of Chicago. They are both obviously very, very smart. Obviously, Ted is genius level smart. David is obviously just very, very smart. Also got into an Ivy League college, so no slouch himself. Um, Idolizes his older brother in a way that on its face is just heartbreaking. You know, if Ted had turned out to be regular math professor, genius level math professor, it would still be sort of I mean, if, if you have two sons like I do, um, it already, like the idolization of an older brother by younger brother is on his face already, sort of like sweet and heartbreaking on its own. But this is the, really the core of the episodes we've listened to so far, especially when we know what ends up happening. What do you think of the way this relationship is portrayed, especially as Ted starts to go on the decline and David starts to really perceive it and in some ways, follow him down those dark paths, even as he knows that there's
5: something really wrong with Ted, as he puts it. Oh, yeah. I thought this was interesting because you you do have that sibling dynamic. But, you know, following along, you can see how this evolves. And I just thought it was really interesting how, you know, they buy this plot of land together in Montana. The two of them go out there. David travels there. He's going to build his own cabin. Ted doesn't let him do it. So then when David moves to Texas and you hear this description that he's living a simple life and living off the grid and the land or whatever, you're envisioning he's just like the Texas version of Ted Kaczynski. But this is where you start to see a shift in his approach to how he is living his life. Um, And he has like pink trim on the outside of his little off the grid thing. And he's got neat little rugs inside. And even though he has these kerosene lamps or whatever, you know, to go from... This sort of evolution of we're going to live the same way to know actually I'm not going to live like that to then being like wait a minute this could be my brother that sent this manifesto which by the way they didn't cover I, I was reading a little more about that actually it was Linda yes. who first noticed yes. that it was um, it, yes. it was is Ted not. David, which I thought was also very interesting. That blew my mind. That's something I did not know. And I don't know if
1: it has. I mean, the story that we've always heard is that it was his brother who turned him in. Linda apparently knew it from the many reports that had been published in The Washington Post and The New York Times that she was reading while she was in Paris. She was reading these snippets while they were posting these small excerpts of the manifesto thinking, this sounds like Ted. This sounds like Ted. This sounds like Ted. Sounds like Ted. And then when her husband landed there for vacation, was like, we need to talk. Not now, I'm tired. Takes a nap and was like, I think your brother is the Unabomber. And he's like, can't be true.
3: We were kind of alone on that part of the street. And Linda said that this sounded like my brother's ideology. And she wondered if the Unabomber might be my brother. And my first reaction was, oh, thank God. It's it's nothing real. It's just, uh, you know. Ted can't possibly be the Unabomber.
1: This story is incredible. It was later when they published the manifesto, they're in Connecticut and they have to go to the library to look at the manifesto online at our university. And I love the scene where he's like, I was expecting to go open it, see page one and think, no way, is it my brother? No way. And he opens the manifesto and he's like, my heart sank. I realized it was him, but it was Linda. It was Linda. It was his wife, the lovely Linda. Women know. Women fucking have creep radar. We yeah. know. We know.
2: <laughs> so Ted was uh, right to uh, be distrustful of Linda.
1: <laughs> All right, I- ironic. But
2: she, but she did get David out of Texas. I guess he's glamping, well, right? Yeah, she you she know? made his
1: cabin. She made his house nicer. But Toby, I mean that that thread was harp. I mean the day. I mean the David Ted thread is freaking heartbreaking right
3: yeah i mean it's you know because you get the sense that david you know he had a little more traditional sort of approach to high school and stuff where maybe he wasn't super popular but he's into sports and but they both i mean they're both very like he becomes fixated on this girl in his math class and basically forsakes all other women until how many decades later he gets back together with her uh it's very odd but he kind of follows again it's like this little brother, big brother thing where he follows them in these very bizarre ways of like living off the land to the point where he's almost doing it more extremely. But then once he gets some kind of normalcy in his life, particularly with this woman, you know, the backlash from Ted is so, you know, scathing and absolute that, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's heartbreaking. And then it's also heartbreaking the fact that he has to make this decision to let you know the FBI know that. I think I know who it is. I think it's my brother, and all that follows. I mean, it it, it is kind of you know it's it's a classic tragedy.
1: So, Kevin, we have to talk about episode three. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> Hellfire Club, <laughs> 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 which I just kept thinking of. Was the
2: North Shore General?
1: Yeah this this Dungeons and Dragons club on the North Shore of strategic Chicago. Strategic yeah. command, North Shore or Strategic something. Command, or whatever yeah. they were called. Where, by the way, one of the guys did have connections to two. Of the bombing victims. His mother worked at the college of one of them, and one of the other ones was a professor whose class had, he had just dropped. So I do understand. Well, he
2: was on the same package, right? The
1: return,
3: right, address. It was the return address and the to address. Correct. Yeah. I he knew agree.
1: Both. I agree that he could have been a strong suspect, which, you know, arguably yeah, on true. On paper, obviously, yeah. So that leads us to this group of Dungeons and Dragons guys, and then we have the guy Jeff the loudmouth who just like Jeff. won't stop talking. And then we have the other guy who to this day thinks that Jeff is the Unabomber thoughts.
2: Yeah. Jeff's not the Unabomber. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I don't know. He's pretty sure he is.
2: You know, it is fun. Okay. By the way, we find out at the end on the list of 600 suspects, those guys were number one, two, three, four, five. I just, it's fucking amazing. I do see right like on its face, you know, you think that if the bombing is a personal cause, then you would want to look at, you know, who would want to do harm to, you know, the first target, that professor. So, yeah, it obviously makes sense that you would go and ask, but they certainly sounded like either, A, they had a hard-on forgetting getting this guy, or Jeff came in and after four hours of hearing bullshit, opened his mouth and said the wrong goddamn thing.
4: I finally said to the ATF agents, Look, if we wanted to kill people and we don't, there would be much better ways to do it than a matchstick bomb. And, of course, that perked them up. And they asked me to explain the better ways which I proceeded to do.
1: Well, not to mention the John Prine lyrics, man. They totally, like, were very suspicious. Fucking stupid. Although the FBI didn't even care about the John Prine lyrics. That connection, though, was so funny. Like, revenge red balloons and then um, Eric is like, they weren't balloons, they were polka dots. (laughs) And then it was like all the details were wrong. Not an
2: English teacher. No, no,
1: but for real to this, I just, well first of all, I couldn't get over the fact that and it did make a whole lot of sense every time a new invest- investigator would come on, mm. they would start at step one again and go back. And every time one of them would meet a new girlfriend, they'd have to say to the parents, like, the way." so here's the thing.
2: <laughs> if you get a call from the FBI, the FBI this is, is why. The FBI probably going to
1: call. They think I'm the Unabomber. I'm not. Here's why they think it. Like, it's really interesting. And this is, again, an untold story. So, Laura, I had never heard a story like this before of what it must be like to be the subject of a Unabomber investigation for a huge swath of your life and have to explain to friends and family and and parents of girlfriends in perpetuity. Yes, people think I'm the Unabomber, but I promise you I'm not.
5: Yeah, I mean, as if Dungeons and Dragons didn't have enough of a stereotype attached to it already— um, now we have this. But what I liked about this part of the story is when you have that one new guy in the FBI who's like, I want to talk to you, but it's because I want to finally get you off the list. And it was amazing. <laughs> I'm thinking the
3: same thing, Toby. Yeah. Like, yeah, bullshit. Yeah, like that's what every cop says.
5: Yeah, but, but he did. He got him off the list. Toby, I liked it. I was buying into the romance of it. I was like, isn't that guy so nice? He's going to get him off the list. Uh, and he could just go play Dungeons and Dragons in his mom's basement or whatever. He told 600
2: um, people the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> Help me help you. <laughs> yes
1: plot twist wouldn't it be amazing if jeff actually turns out to be the Unabomber. Yeah, he's
2: not the Unibomber.
1: <laughs> ted wants to take credit for it because you know he wrote the manifesto but it's actually jeff this whole time yeah one final question Ooh. for you kevin i know we've heard for many years that ted Kaczynski's cabin was 10 by 12 yeah all i kept thinking was 10 by 12 that is smaller than our Bedroom by like that's
2: like Studio C here. That
1: is literally yeah about two feet bigger a little more either yeah. way than the closet we're sitting in right now. Tiny Amazing, house right?
2: hunters. Yes, tiny he was into tiny houses. Yeah,
1: he was ahead of the curve. Yes, yep. yes. Do you remember guys when we
2: did the um we reviewed Unabomber, which was a miniseries Una- starring yeah, yeah didn't Sam Worthington? It did, but remember the gist of the story was that he was. I think it was Fitz or something like that. He was a uh, like a linguistic profiler, something like no one's ever done. And so he like went into the manifesto and like, uh, you know, so like water or something stupid like that and like realized, I don't know, he had some revelation about, you know, that he could profile based on the language yep. and no one ever did it. Yep. And that's how they captured the Unabomber. And it wasn't nope. the thing. It's like, no, it was Linda. It was still still the story that we heard, that it was the brother. You know, it's even more,
3: like, that whole concept is so fucked up because that was how they screwed up the anthrax through the mail stuff is they got a guy, some linguistic expert, who was like, it was definitely this dude, and it wasn't. And it was just this guy was, this linguistic guy was just totally off. Uh, It's just another one of those sort of bullshit, like, forensic things, things. Yeah. yeah. You know anyway. what pisses me
1: off about that? The woman FBI agent in this podcast, right? She's not the linguistics person, but she's the person who worked on the Unabomb task force, along mm-hmm. with, there was the hard-boiled guy who was like very old-fashioned, yeah. and then there was her who was the social worker one. She was the one who wanted it printed because she knew someone might know who who, did, who made it, right? And they ultimately were like, all right, you, you're probably right, right? Why didn't they make the mini miniseries about her? And that guy, so much more interesting than the linguistics thing, right? I don't know. And by the way, <laughs> Sam Worthington- I think it
2: was on Discovery. <laughs> Who the fuck remembers that thing? Sam
1: Worthington also played that horrible- I will give,
2: I will give you $1,000 each if you could tell me anything about that and whether you were thumbs up or thumbs down. I, I was a thumbs you, down 100%. I think everyone was probably a thumbs down, yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. I recall that quite clearly. I'm going to write you a
3: check. Okay,
1: Sam Worthington was <laughs> Jake Sully in Avatar, right? Yes. And he was also just in that, uh, on that thing we just watched about Under the Dan, Banner of Heaven. Was he, he was Dan, not the one with the voice, but the other one, right? All right. But
2: Dan, <laughs> what if you were the Unabomber? <laughs> then you could send things
1: through the mail. <laughs>
2: Heavenly
0: Father would not approve. Or would he? <laughs> BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast.
1: All right. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new Apple Originals podcast, Project Unibomb.
5: Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs
1: up or thumbs down for this new
5: podcast? Uh, yeah, this is a thumbs up. Um, you know, I always say, like Kevin pointed out, I always say, uh, why now? Why now? Um, well, why now? We're in this huge period of time with uh, domestic terrorism being at an all-time high. We've listened to all of our various Leah Satili reporting projects about that sort of Phenomenon that is happening in the country. But, you know, I think the telling of this story, the host and the narrator and the research is really interesting. I found some of the angles about suspects that were considered suspects for a long time before they were cleared to be a really interesting addition to some of the past reporting and stories that we've seen about the Unabomber. And, you know, I also, in this particular telling, was really drawn to the story of the two brothers and their relationship and how that sort of played into things. So, um, this is a thumbs up for me. Toby ball. Yeah. So I'm a thumbs
3: up. First of all, I I think it's obviously really well done. This is actually something I knew a fair amount about. So there wasn't, it wasn't like a nonstop parade of surprises, but they do, uh, break some new ground. A couple of things that kind of stuck out to me was, you know, they they are kind of walking this thin line between because, you know, enough of that stuff is out there that they have to both, you know, have enough of that story so that people who don't know the Unabomber story are engaged and know what's going on. And at the same time, they have to have new stuff. Right. So that people such as myself who know the story pretty well have a reason to listen beyond just sort of the general excellence of, of what they're doing and and they do that and it's uh it's episode three about alternative subjects and then sort of focusing on the brother at times it felt like we were getting a little far away from the core piece of Ted Kaczynski being the Unabomber uh, spoiler alert I guess but There's literally no
2: spoilers yeah that's true <laughs> It um, happened 25 years ago well it might be this guy <laughs>
1: Um, but <laughs> oh, no spoilers. Uh, yeah, sorry. I'll beep that out. I'll beep that out. <laughs> yeah. Um,
3: so that's really just a quibble, and it's not something. If I wasn't reviewing it on a on a podcast, I probably would just completely ignore because the storytelling is really good. I, I found myself fully engaged the whole time, even in stuff I already kind of knew. Um, I it
2: just the quality of of the uh, podcast is is really high. So big thumbs up. Kevin Flint. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. This is excellent. I think if I had a quibble, it might be that we might have a little too much of David talking, you know, Ted's childhood, but that is a super quibble. I thought this was excellent. We didn't even talk about the idea that there is a library that houses all of Ted Kaczynski's bullshit.
1: Yay, librarians.
2: I think I'm going to do, I'm going to offer all of my stuff to it, my, all my completed works to some library. And is it
1: bullshit? That's the question, right? Well, I
2: think the more bullshit, the more the library But will that's the it.
1: question. That's a big question. I think it's interesting.
2: So this is very well done. I thought the sound design was great. The reporting is excellent. You do get some new things, so whether you you, you remember a lot about the Unabomber case or you're coming to it uh, with fresh eyes and ears, I think you'll have something here. I'm really looking forward to getting to the, uh, the end of this series. And uh, you know, sort of seeing what is—I don't want to put it this way—but you know, sort of what the point is. We're hearing this stuff. I feel like it's leading to some kind of—I don't want to say a conclusion—that means an in any but an idea about sort of what all this means. A, I, I guess, a, a bigger picture or what are the stakes? I don't know exactly. Uh, you just say
1: what are the stakes? What
2: are the stakes here? <laughs> Answer that stupid question. Anyway, I think, I think it's great. And uh, more podcasts should be like this.
1: Yeah. Uh, what, Kevin, is stupid question? What are the stakes? Aside?
2: That's it. That's an inside baseball. No, hey. it's
1: not. It's the stupidest question about narrative ever. What are the stakes? Uh, but no, yes, I agree with everything you said, Kevin. Um, Eric Benson is, does a great job here. And yes, we did neglect to talk about the incredible fact that this all starts in a library with like a ton of boxes of stuff that includes copies of letters such as, Mom, stop sending me smoked oysters. <laughs> For God's sakes, Ted, why did you make a copy of that goddamn letter? Because um, he didn't like photocopiers. Real question. Why would you copy that letter? Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I really love this podcast this is my favorite kind of podcast because, well, first of all, it's the kind I go into with high expectations. And I'm honestly terrified that I'm not going to like it because it's like I know the people who made it as many people that I have made great stuff. And I'm like, what if it sucks? But also it's the same thing that I know something about. So I'm like, what could I possibly get out of it? Uh And of course, episode one, I already get stuff. And episode two, I get more stuff. And episode three was freaking great. And then of course, episode four ends up being like super heartbreaking. So there's a lot of, um, aside from information here, there's a lot of emotional depth here, which I was not expecting. The sound design is perfect, the music is surprising and perfect. I'm, I'm really loving Project Unibomb. I'm definitely going to listen to the rest of the series, even though we have finished reviewing uh, our job here. So yeah, huge thumbs up for me for this podcast, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of it. Now it's time for my favorite part of our podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, week. the week. See if this one passes the sniff test. Researchers say people who share the same smell are more likely to become friends. Other mammals sniff one another to determine friend or foe. Why not humans? Researchers assembled two dozen same-sex, non-romantic friends who described themselves as having hit it off immediately. They made the friends and others in a control group wear t-shirts that were put in bags and measured with a device called an electronic nose. They later did the smell test with a human. Both the machine and the person could identify which pairs were friends and which were strangers. To test whether the smell was a predictor of friendship, researchers had strangers sit close, not speak, and do one of those mirror games. Later, they asked which of the participants they felt the most chemistry with and those they didn't. Based on their smells, the electric nose predicted who would click and who wouldn't almost three-quarters of the time. Unlike animals who rely on sense, humans rely on language and reason to distinguish friends from foes. But next time you say goodbye to your buds, tell them smell ya later. So, panel, your nose knows. Please describe the smell of your best friend. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Uh,
5: tuna fish. Ew. <laughs> it's, oh. my yeah. it's my cat! It's my cat!
1: Now Jesus. I get it. Now I get it, Toby Ball.
3: I was like, I I've hung out with some of Lara's friends, and I was like, do any of them smell like tuna fish? That's
1: I don't know. Really <laughs> All right, Toby Ball. What do you think? What does your best friend smell like?
3: Uh, I th- I think alcohol infused sweat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Fart burps. Yeah, I gotta say that's pretty much accurate. Mine jumpsuits from ebay oh. <laughs> all right that's gonna do it for us but before we go lara bricker
5: do we have a cat of the week this week we do have a cat of the week this week this is a true, true crime, crime cat of the, cat of the, week, of the week update week. wow i'm gonna add some uh, echo to that good job lara <laughs> bricker
1: see
3: that coming. Wow.
5: <laughs> and it comes to us from sinéad mick allier <gasps> is that irish cat Yes, and this <laughs> is a cat that was cat of the week early. Chester was jumping over toilet rolls in the early pandemic times. Remember, we had a video where the cat went, yeah, 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 in like slow motion. Well, now it has been a long journey, a lot of him just steering the other direction, but finally. Finally, Chester can ring a bell for treats. Nice. Oh, this video was is
2: awesome. Yeah.
5: Yes. So I would like my cats to learn how to do this. Unfortunately, Rocky Flintstone, who's now on a special urinary diet, just sits in front of me and like howls at me mm. um, to give him his special food now. So no, I think ringing the bell would be a little more, you know, acceptable.
1: All right. Well, Laura Bricker, folks want to reach out to you and give you their tips for teaching your cats to ring bells to get treats. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, They can find me at Laura Bricker. And of course, you can submit your Cat of the Week or any kind of pet to be Cat of the Week to us. It doesn't have to be a cat at crimewriterson at gmail.com or submit them to us on Facebook at any of our groups. We will accept them anywhere. Uh, Toy Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say, I would like to meet your friends who smell like alcohol infused sweat (laughs) how can they find you on twitter at
3: tobyballnh
1: kevin flynn how about you how can you be found on the internet
3: i'm at kevin p flynn
1: and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. Follow the show at Crime Writers On and join our incredible community and our really, really rad Crime Writers On Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, search for Crime Writers On our podcast, and then hit join the group. Answer a couple questions. If you're not a jerk, we will let you in.
2: A lot of people still entering.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. We more got than everybody, ever.
2: But no, the more people keep coming.
1: Come on in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get all the extra stuff we have Back there, it is great. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the rad, Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this show is Kevin Flynn. This podcast was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we ask you not to send smoked oysters and only nuts, dried fruit and cheese. Mm -hmm. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I'm experimenting with all the... um, you know the cans that you can buy in the grocery store they are max 5% like the seltzers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've been experimenting with those, which I really like. Yes. Yesterday I went to the liquor store with Teddy and he was like, you should try some of these like high test cans, mom, that are like yeah. 12%. Oh my God. So we bought a bunch and uh, man, they will knock you on your ass.
2: Yeah. Re- who knew Rebecca liked it in the can so much? Oh,
1: stop it. Oh. See if this one passes the sniff test. Ew. That's not, I was boogery. Don't do that. See if this one passes the sniff test. Re- <laughs> <laughs>